All right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Let's open our Bibles. I hope you brought a Bible with you. We hold those in high esteem here at the well. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 3. And we'll, read, we'll start again in verse 7 and read the, church, the letter to the church in, in Philadelphia again. And then we're going to concentrate on the last half of that letter. Uh, turn there on your phone or in your actual Bible. Either way is fine. Turning your phones with me to Revelation. <laughs> we like real Bibles. That's why we don't give out the Wi-Fi code. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Let's stand to our feet uh, in reverence to God's Word. All right. And to the... And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. I so appreciate the Word of God and how encompassing it is and how uh, relevant it is. You know, I hear many people uh, say things like, and they may be teachers of God's Word or they may be um, speakers or whatever it may be, they say, well, he's really good at making the Bible relevant to his audience. But the problem with that is that no man has ever made the Bible relevant. The Bible just is relevant. You may be able to see uh, better how how to show how relevant it is, but the scriptures are just relevant. They're relevant to me, to you, to those whom it was written to, and to anyone that will read it after we're long gone, if the Lord tarries that long or if he waits that long before he does come back the second time. I am always amazed at how the scriptures address almost perfectly what it is that I'm going through in the times that I'm going through it. And how many of you can say the same thing? You know, I'm dealing with this situation and, and all of a sudden I'm reading the scriptures and it's almost like the scriptures are alive and they speak to me and it may be a word of rebuke. It may be a word of encouragement. It may be uh, a word of, of, of almost a prophetic word showing you which direction you need to be going in. It may be a, a myriad of different things that the Word does for you, but it, but it shows you, it leads you, it guides you, and it holds in line with what the Scripture says about itself, is that it's living and active and sharper than your two-edged sword. So it does that. How many of you know that it does that? You've seen it. Amen. So the Word of God is living and active, and it's always uh, showing us what we are to do, what we are not to do, uh, which direction we are to go in. It, it, it encourages us. It picks us up when we're down. And so it's relevant, and it's applicable to us. It shows us exactly who we are to be. And so I want to show you now the applicable. I told you last week it'd be historical, applicable, and Christological, which only means is what's the history, how does it apply to us, and what's it teaching us about Jesus, okay? It's not got to be that fancy. And so today, I want, we talked a little bit about the application of the text. We talked about what it meant for us as Gentiles. We talked about what it meant for us as believers in our days, surrounded by people who claim to be believers, but they're not really believers. I mean, based on the fruit anyway. We're not the judge. You know, we've explained that. We, we know what we're talking about. We say that. But 
it, it, it was applied a little bit, but today I want to really kind of focus on the application of the verses. And because here's the thing. These letters are written to actual churches. There was a church in Philadelphia. We know a fair amount about the church. It was a smaller church. It wasn't as big as Sardis. It wasn't near as big as uh, Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. It was a smaller church. This church was um, about 30 miles uh, south of, of Sardis, and it was a smaller church. It was kind of plagued. This whole city was kind of plagued with uh, earthquake activity, seismic activity. It went under... Uh, uh, it went through destruction several different times through earthquakes and things like that. And so we know that this was a small congregation. It was a small church in a, in a, in a less adequate uh, city that, that people couldn't get extremely wealthy in. So therefore, they didn't have quite as many of the trials or uh, in the way of, of, of compromise. It wouldn't have been right at their door as much, so to speak. But even that which did come to their door, they, as the Scripture says, they, they stood by the Word of God. It says, uh, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So they had just little power. Their economic status would not have been very great. They would not have been uh, very prominent in the city. They wouldn't have had a lot, of, a lot of political clout and power or push. They were a small congregation that seemingly had little power, little significance. They didn't carry much weight. And therefore, I can only imagine how abused they were by those around them who had more power. If you look back at the church of Sardis, Sardis is exactly opposite of the church at Philadelphia. If you remember, Sardis had the reputation of being alive, but Jesus knew that they actually weren't. So they had this reputation of they were booming, they had lots of peace. They had lots of money. They had it going on. They looked like they, they were the bee's knees of churches, okay? I can only imagine that, that the surrounding churches, if it was anything like our day, and let's face it, people really don't change. So I guarantee you the more people you got, the more you got it going on, right? No matter how you get the people there. So in our, our church culture here in America, in, in the Bible Belt, in, in, in South Carolina even, in our surrounding areas, a church is measured by the number of attendees or the number of members. With, many times without any, uh, any qualification, you just, how many people does the church have? Let's not, we're not asking questions about what doctrines do they teach? What theology do they hold? Do we want to reach people? Do we want churches to reach people? Well, sure we do. People are people. They have souls. You know, we love people. And so we want to reach people. The question is, at what cost will we trade for people? Will we trade truth for people? Will we trade the Lord and being sold out to him and dedicated to him in order to reach people? And so we have to be careful on how we, how we define the successfulness or the, or, or the uh, progressiveness of a church. We got to, we've got to be careful how we qualify that and how we judge that. Should a church that has 2,000 people autom automatically, without any other qualification, be doing better than a church that has 30? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I want to point out here how Christ absolutely destroys that whole idea destroys the whole idea and may even turn it on its head and say, if you've got 10,000 people, it may not be such a good thing. It may be, but we got lots of questions to ask. We got lots of questions to ask. Okay. And hear this. this. This sermon is not about methodology. It's not about systems. It's not about denominations. It's about Christ. Okay. So let's look at the scripture. We're going to go back through, and we're just going to uh, get a couple of more things out, and then we'll kind of finish the letter on out. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. One thing I want to point out, that this is the only 
uh, place in any of the letters where Jesus Christ explicitly declares his love for a church or for the, for the particular church. It's the only place. What is it that draws this type of emotion out of Christ and why he is so in love with this church? He said, did you hear what he said? He said, I, he, these people were under persecution. They were under this, this, this attack. And it seems as if the attack was because they were little and insignificant. And, and I'm just, you know, I'm, this is my own, uh, you know, just, just thinking on the text. And I'm going to use a little bit of uh, expansion here. It, it just seems like they would probably have been called weak and insignificant, poor little country hick church. That's kind of what pops into my mind. And Jesus is looking at, but you know one thing they have going for them? No, they don't have a lot of money. They probably don't have people who understand the word Christological. Conviction, anybody? They probably don't, they, they don't have a 2,000-member a, a church. They probably, they, they don't have the nicest things. They don't have the, the, the greatest technology. But, but you know what they do have? Christ. And they have committedness they have perseverance they have a desire to stay with the lord no matter what so you know you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that people had tried to come in and say hey look i'll give you this if you get rid of that i'll i'll I will give if you do this, or I will, I will donate this if you do that, or I'll bring all these people. I'll come here if you don't say that anymore. How many times do I have people leave the church or get upset with me and they say, you preach too hard, you preach about this and you preach about that. If you wouldn't preach in those things, then I'd come here. I've actually heard that. You preach too hard. My wife can't handle it. That's not a slight against you ladies. That's just the only one I've heard. Some of the men took tail and run too. But here it is. You know they're in the middle of this. They've got Sardis less than 30 miles uh, uh, above them. They've got uh, Ephesus not too far away. They've got all these other churches that were big and magnificent and, 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 and compromising. So if the churches compromise, then they have more worldly wealth. They have more worldly clout. They have more fame. They have more fortune. They have more pull because they have bought in to the system. They have traded Christ for power and recognition in the culture. You can't have both. You can't have both. You can either have Christ or you can have the culture. You can't have both. And so in order for Christ to say, I know that you have but little power, but behold, you are strong, then they had to have denied the world in order to get more Christ. And here they are, small, weak, and insignificant to everyone around them. But Christ says, the only time he says, they will bow down and they will know that I have loved you. Man, how applicable is that word? How, how good, how right on time is that word? In an age where you go, and try, you go and find a biblical Bible preaching, I'm not talking about methodology, there are traditional churches that preach the Bible, there are contemporary churches that preach the Bible. There are uh, contemporary Christian music that glorifies God, and there's hymns that glorify God. I'm not talking about method. I'm not talking about denomination. You go and find a church that really does preach the Bible and tries its best to exercise church discipline, that tries its best to, to, to stay biblical and godly in all realms, in, in the realms of, uh, of the roles of men and women, in the realms of, of spiritual giftedness, in the realms of preaching doctrine, in, in all of these realms. You go and find one and I'll guarantee you I'll guarantee you you'll find people leaving that church you'll find some coming in but you'll find people leaving the church because the gospel when it comes out the word of God when it comes out in in its actual form it does two things it either hardens or it softens you see we've got this this minimalist type of gospel, this, 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 we want to cut everything away so that we can just get them in, just get them in.
And we, we think that if we just kind of, if we kind of tempt them in a little bit, just a little, we just want to give them enough. We don't want to give them enough Christ to, to offend them. We just want to give them a little bit, a little bit. And then once we get them in, what are we going to do, spring it on them later? Gotcha. I ain't sign up for this. Happens all the time. So here we are. We see Philadelphia, who is this weak little church in the world's eyes uh, that, that has little power. They, they, they don't have a lot of money. They don't have a, a lot of clout. They don't have, but Jesus says here, he says, I know that you have but little power. He doesn't even say, I know it seems like you have little power. In Sardis, he said, I know you have the reputation. The, 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 the image that you are alive, but you're not. He says here, he acknowledges, I know you have little power. I know you have little power, but you have not denied my name. But you have not denied my name. He continues on, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. You see, you may experience, now this is, I believe with all my heart, this is, we can apply this on an individual basis, and we can apply this as our church too. Listen, church, I know that, that we could get more people in here if we did a few things differently. I know that we could get a few things in here if I just back off a little bit. I know. I know that. I know that we could get a few people and more people in here if I would just ease up a little bit or, or, or if we would just, just, just you know, kind of take it easy, take it easy, you know? But what would we be sacrificing for it? I think it's applicable for our church, but I also think it's this, that, that it's able to be applied to the individual. You see, you could too. Oh, my goodness, how many of you are, you're in two places. One, you're scared to death to lose your friends, and so therefore you do not proclaim the name of Christ anywhere around them. And you say, well, I don't do that. Do you? Are you known for Christ? Are you known for loving Jesus? I'm not saying you'd be the annoying guy that just presses it down everybody's throat. Take that, sir. You know? But you know, the true believer who is absolutely overflowing with Christ and, and is in love with Christ and born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he never, she never forces their faith on anybody. Rather, they can't help but to affect everybody by it. Why? It's because Christ, for the true believer, affects every part of our life. And so the people that do life with us, they cannot help but to watch how we do life. So the true question is, how do you do life? Are you doing life with Christ at your side or rather inside of you, filling you full, carrying you through? So they see you get that demotion or they see you get that raise. They see you be tempted. They see you standing around with the other guys or the girls at the cooler, guys uh, talking about some woman that just walked by or some dirty joke. The girls sitting there gossiping about somebody else and, and look at her shoes right? They see you in all these things, and they see how you live out that part of your life. And if you're living for Christ, you will be the geek. You'll be the fuddy-duddy. You'll be, uh, and that's the best case scenario. You might be a religious bigot who thinks she or he is better than everybody around them. And you never looked and said, I hate this, or I hate that, or I, I hate this. No, you just said, Jesus said in his word that this is what it is, and I have to stand by that. I hate you, you bigot. In that moment. Now, some of you have may, may have never experienced that. All I would say is, who's carrying you through life? Who's carrying you through life? And so... Uh, here it is, here it is, is that we have to go through life. And I am telling you that the best, uh, the best place for you to be, the best place for you to exist is to not deny the name of Christ. Rather, let him, uh, be, uh, let him be significant and, and foundational and, and, and empowering and the source of every aspect of your life, period, in every single situation.
situation. And what this will do is it will bring you to evangelism without any effort whatsoever. And, and I know this to be true because it's happened in my own life, and I know it's happened in your life too. You're just living your life for Jesus Christ. And that's not to say don't go out intentionally evangelizing. Do that. You know, I'm telling you, be an enemy dropped behind or be an enemy, be a, a warrior dropped in behind enemy lines, right? You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You need to be a warrior dropped in behind enemy lines. You need to be moving around, you know, gotcha, you know? I mean, I go to the same stores often, and I'm just trying to find a door, find a door. You slide that door open, I'm sticking my foot in, right? Right? Yeah. Have you ever, you ever met Jesus Christ? Now, I picked this guy up. Have I given the testimony about the guy I picked up in here on the side of the road? Well, this was significant in my life, so I'm going to share this with you. I invited him, but I don't think he's come. If he's watching online, what's up? Dude, I forgot your name. No. Yeah, I forgot his name. So <laughs> I'm riding down the road, right? And I'm feeling convicted because we had had a, a men's meeting, and some guys was talking about some evangelism that happened in their life. And I'm like, man, I hadn't been a part of any evangelistic stuff here lately. I need to, I need to speak for the Lord, you know? And so I'm riding down the road, and there's this guy walking down the road, and he's got a, his wife beat her on, you know? He's walking like this. This is how you might have saw him walking down the road. And he's got shorts on. He's got tattoos up his arms and up his neck right here. And he's missing a few teeth. And right after I was praying, Lord, give me some evangelistic opportunities. I see this guy walking down the road. And the Lord's like, there he is. And so I said, all right. I'll pull the truck over. Are you able to follow me, David? <laughs> Sorry. So he hops up in the truck, and, and I've got Christian rap playing. Ooh. Yes, I listen to Christian hip-hop. You want to talk about it later? We can, okay? Best theology in Christ, contemporary Christian music right now. Come, come try it. I promise you. Anyway. But he doesn't give the, the lyrics, you know, time to catch up. He just, you know, he's like, Thanks, man, you know, dropping F-bombs, this, and my, my, my wife, you know, dropping explicitives here, that, that crazy, beep, and I'm thinking, Lord gave me a good one, <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, all right, yeah. I mean, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I mean, he's letting it, he's dropping it like it's hot, you know? And so I just, and he's like, he never even took a breath. He was really, apparently, his car broke down. His wife is sitting at home in the AC, and she won't come get him, and he is mad. <laughs> so, anyway, I can't tell all the words that he said, but we're riding down the road, and, and we get about maybe a mile up the road, and I'm just looking for that window, right? I'm looking for that window. And I'm telling you this because this was an intentional like, I'm, I'm a witness to this guy, right? He needs Jesus. I know he does. Just like I did, because I was that guy. If you didn't know that, I was that guy. Like, up for days on mess, stealing cars, robbing people, I was that guy. So, guys in my truck, you know, he's right, we're riding down the road. He's got his head on sideways, no teeth, you know, cussing his wife out like a sailor. And he, and, and he says this. He says, he says something to the effect of, he said, you know, maybe I deserve it. I'm just a piece of beep. And I was like, I had to strike fast because he was talking like 100 miles an hour. I don't know what he was on, but he was talking. <laughs> so I just said, and it just came out, you know. I just said, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I said, well, let me explain. I said, actually, the reason that I pulled, I, I pulled over and, and wanted to give you a ride is, is that I wanted to share something with you. And as I began to share the gospel, as I began to share about Jesus Christ and how Christ had pulled me out of the gutter, you see, it wasn't a few years ago that I was the one in the gutter, up for days on meth, had robbed a man and, and, and had literally laying in the ditch, bleeding from my mouth. I was that guy. Maybe worse, probably worse. And as I began to tell him the gospel of Jesus, as I began to, to, to lay out the sacrifice that God made for even him so that he would not be able to declare that I'm a piece of beep, 
this hardened man, this rock-hard man, at least he wanted everybody to think it, tattoos up one side and down the other, hard as nails, he began to weep. Weep. And I'm not a tear. <laughs> weep bitterly before me. And I was laughing. I was just, and I was laughing because God was moving. And I slammed my hand on his shoulder and I said, brother, I said, Jesus Christ is the king and the king can set you free. And he said, God put you in my life. And I said, amen. <laughs> it was gospel. It was Christ. It was Christ. And the reason I'll tell you that story is that God looks to use you in the same way every day, every minute of every day. You do not have to have a certain look. You do not have to have a certain number in your bank account. You ain't got to have a certain style or a certain age. All you got to do is maintain the name. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. As a matter of fact, many times, now I'm not, I'm not against wealth. I'm not one of those guys. I do, I do not promote a, a poverty theology or a prosperity theology. I am well aware that the scripture teaches that God may very well supply you with much wealth if you can handle it and use it to his glory. Hey, praise the Lord. I don't have a problem with that. But I'm telling you now that just because you have wealth and are blessed doesn't mean you're biblical. And just because you're poor and wretched doesn't mean you're biblical. But it's all who bow the knee to Christ, who do not deny his name, and in every instance glorifies him. You see it? You see it? This church was weak and little and power, powerless. But he said, you do not, do not deny my name. And behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. Don't you realize that, 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 that you can lose everything on this side for the name of Christ? You can lose it all. But Jesus Christ is saying to these people, it doesn't matter who comes against you. It doesn't matter what they take from you. It doesn't matter what you lose because you have me. And in the end, not only do you have me, not only do you have me, but they will all recognize exactly what you have, and they will be the ones made low. You see it? Right now in this side, the last will be first, but the first will be last. Right now, you may be laying on the ground in poverty and in despair, but Jesus Christ has said, I got you, baby. I got you. And this guy over here, he's jumping around with his chest all out because he's got it made. He's got it made. Why do, the, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the unrighteous, why do they, why do they have everything fall into their lap? And, and Christ is over here saying, let them have the world. Let them have their way. This is all they get. Why are you looking over there at their, at their rags, believing that lie, believing the lie that those are riches? That's just worldly wealth. It don't last but just a little while and then pff, gone. Amen. It says they will know. You see, all of these people that come against you, you don't. How many people, how many, how many Christians or people who desire to be Christians, how many of them come to me and say, well, I would, I would turn over this new leaf or I would give Christ my life or whatever other number of phrases they want to use. And they say, but I don't want to lose my fill in the blank. It's all waste, dust, nothing, smoke. Nothing is worth trading Christ. It says, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial uh, that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. We talked a little bit about that last week, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do a whole lot there. 
basically what he's saying there is that there's two different ways to understand this verse. And uh, those who uh, believe in rapture go here a lot. And, and uh, they say, and when I say rapture, I don't mean the second coming of Christ. I mean those that believe that the church will be raptured out and then there will be a tribulation and then the Lord will come back. Uh, many of those guys who uh, believe that use this verse to say, see here, that the church will be taken away before the hour of trial comes uh, and that they will not have to go through this tribulation. Now, I do not have the time or the energy to get into a rapture discussion or rapture debate, but I will say this. Even if you believe that the rapture will take place in that way, I don't believe that you can use this verse to do that for several different reasons. One is, is that, and I already talked about this a little bit last week because I'm, I'm going to kind of just move through it kind of quickly. One is, is that if, if Christ is saying at this juncture in this letter that the church will be taken out so that they will not go through any type of tribulation, this is the only section, the only only sentence in the whole book of Revelation that suggests such an idea. Every other place is speaking of the tribulation that is coming and the endurance that you will have to have in order to make it through. So if you want to make a case for the rapture, go right ahead. That's fine. We can discuss it. I don't think you can do it here. A couple of other reasons why I don't think you can do it here is that the same language is used by John in John chapter 17. You remember the high priestly prayer when Jesus Christ is speaking about his disciples, he says, I'm leaving and I need you. He's talking to the Father. He says, I am leaving. They're going to be here, but I'm not going to be here with them. So I need you to hold them fast. I need you to keep them in your word. Your word is the truth. He says, keep them from this hour. But he doesn't say this in such a way that they're going to be removed out of here. This phrase is used the same way in John chapter 17, but it doesn't mean there in any way that they're going to be removed from the trial or removed from the earth, but that they will be sustained through the hour. And I believe that that's what we must understand this if we want to keep in context and with the flow of the letter. I don't think we can see it any other way. And there's one more reason here in this letter that I think that we should see it that way. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole earth to try those who dwell on the earth. One, one other thing here, and if you want to talk more about it, we can afterwards. He, said, he speaks of his endurance and his patient endurance and them keeping the word about his patient endurance. Well, we see this type of idea that they've already been through something before, right? Because he says, you have kept. That's a perfect tense. It's something that happened in the past with results that, that come on up to this place right now. So he says, you have, I, I, they will bow down to you. I will show them that I have loved you because you kept. You see it? They've already encountered some type of trial. They've already encountered some type of, of tribulation that came against them, hit them, and they stood fast through it. And they kept, they kept, you see, that's passionate. They kept his word about his patient endurance. So they saw what Christ did on the cross. They saw how he went through it, and they kept his example. They kept his word. They kept his, uh, his um, uh I guess his teaching, his, his example is the best way to describe it. They, kept, they did what Christ would do in that situation. And they stood fast, they held strong the name of God, and they did not waver. And for this, they will be blessed, right? And he is going to keep them from the hour of trial. If you go back to John chapter 12, Jesus says something very similar too. He said, what shall I say uh, uh, remove me from this hour or keep me from this hour? He says, absolutely not. It's for this hour that I have come. So in this, we see that Jesus Christ is not speaking of removal. He's not wanting to be removed. He's not wanting to be taken out, but he is saying that he is to remain and endure through this. Now, why should I tell you that? Now, I, I do believe that there is coming a, a, a judgment or a, or a a time of, of, of pain and punishment that the believer will be relieved from. Obviously, I do believe that. But I believe in this letter right here as he's writing to these people who are an actual church, he's saying to them, look, I know you've been faithful. I know you have, you, you have weakness and you don't have much power. You don't have much money. You don't have much clout. You don't have many resources that would carry you through in a worldly way, and you're going to have to depend on me. But he's saying, but look, I've, I've watched you. 
And I saw you that time that, that your brother or your sister questioned your faith or your, your wife or your husband uh, wanted to deny or your job called you to compromise if you, didn't, if you didn't change your beliefs or whatever it might be. I saw that and I know you kept my word. I know that you're for me and I want you to know something, that I opened that door and you can be guaranteed it will not shut and I am going to keep you as you go through this. You see, because look, I could sit here and say the health, wealth, and prosperity, God loves you and wants to bless you with the riches if you'll just believe. But I thought that'd be a lie. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now. I, I pray that the Lord just opens the windows of heavens and blesses every one of you. I do. I pray that. I, pray, I hope so. That's, praise God. But I'm telling you, some of you are headed for trial. And the, and the fluff of the prosperity gospel is not going to weather that storm. But this will. When the nails start to go in, Brother Fred. When the, when the, when the lashes come across the back, Brother David. When, when, the, when, the, when the nail goes through the foot and when the soldier jams you right in the ribs. You look to Jesus. Like Stephen did. Just like Stephen did. Stephen was being pummeled with, with boulder-sized rocks as he was being brutally beaten and murdered. Remember that story? And what does it say? It said that Stephen gazed into heaven and he saw the Son of Man standing, standing at the right hand of the Father. Some of you may not go through very tough or hard trials. You may... Just kind of ease through life. Could be. But many of you are going to hit it. You're going to hit that wall and you're going to need the Christ, the Son of the living God, who was murdered and betrayed on a cruel, cruel cross in order to get you through. In order to get you through. And ultimately, you'll all need him or you will not make it through. You will not. You will be the ones on the other side bowing down in utter dismay. So we see this. I think that this is a, this is a uh, call for endurance. This is a call for perseverance. That trial is coming on those who dwell on the earth. If you get into, uh, when, we, when we get into uh, Revelation chapter 6, uh, Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 8, we'll see this. Uh, we'll see this starting to happen when the seals start to be opened and uh, this tribulation is coming on the believers and the non-believers. That tribulation, here's another thing that I want you to see, and you can kind of see this as we start to go through, is that the tribulation that comes from the Lord that is used to persecute those who persecute Christians or used to punish those who persecute Christians will serve as the test for the Christians. So the, the scriptures are very clear that many of the things that God is going to pour onto the unbelievers, they, it will dump out on you too. But for them, it'll be punishment. It will be judgment. But for you, it will be testing. And it will be the proving agent for when both of you come out, one will come out separated from God. One will come out uh, absolutely joined together and reconciled with God through the, the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, how do you make it through that? This is very key because I'm not telling you that you need to be a good person. Have your P's and Q's. Make sure you know the Bible so that you can stand through it. No. How do they come through it in Revelation chapter 6? How do they come through it? Revelation chapter 7. It's a, right at the end of Reve Revelation chapter 6, it says, who will be able to stand in these times? Revelation chapter 7 talks about those who are sealed. They have, they have received the seal of the Lord. You see, it is the seal of the Lord. What's the seal of the Lord? The seal of the Lord is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all who have received the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be the ones that make it through the fire and the, and the, the rain of terror that falls on the earth. They will make it through. This is what Christ is promising here. He says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And obviously they already have a part of this right here. They already have what Christ is calling them to. They already have this, 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 this power, this, this perseverance, this faith. They have their faith. And he's saying, hold fast to it. Hold fast to it so that you may, so that no one may seize your crown. You see, many people are coming to you and they're trying to seize your crown. They're trying to do it many different ways. Many through persecution, many through affliction. And, and I think that we kind of look at that. We look for that sometimes. So we might be on guard against that part of it. But there's another way that people come to get your crown too. And you know how that is? 
through material blessings. They're trying to buy it from you. They're trying to buy it from you. Just because uh, it's something nice and, 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 and sparkly is dangling in front of your face doesn't mean that you should reach out and take it. Ask any bass that who's ever been caught. You see, we might be looking, and I'm going to tell you right now, and Heather's like, you crazy, you read that stuff too much. That stuff's not going on really about this whole transgender thing and this whole, you know, you talk about that too much. But, I mean, this is like the key significant uh, issue in our country right now that, that is going on. If you look at what's going on, I'm telling you right now, you see this happening in Canada. There are, there are threats of, uh, there, there is a story that is a legitimate story that has been documented of a three-year-old uh, girl that thought she was a boy, she declared it at school, and her parents at three years old uh, let her be a boy, let her think she was a boy. They went out, they got all new stuff, they got this, they got that. Now, that's bad, right? That's bad. It's unbiblical. That's, that's bad stuff right there. Three years old, my three-year-old don't know how to wipe his booty, okay? <laughs> but he's gonna let, we're going to let him decide to, if, he, if he's a boy or a girl. No, that's, that's just, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? That just sounds crazy. Check this out. There is talks and threats of the, the Canadian government looking at Christians and all of those who do not accept and embrace transgenderism as a legitimate lifestyle that they would be seen as hate-filled and, and uh, abusive and that their children, if they do not embrace this, that they are denying their children proper care and their Children could be taken from their care in order to be able to transition like they should be able to transition. So you know what that means for, for me and you? If that was to ever get down the pipe, and if you don't see it growing, you're blind as a bat. If that ever gets down the pipe, that means, that means David, you guys, that means if your son one day had a silly thought in his head that he was a girl at school, and he let the teachers at school know that, and then those teachers made the proper people aware of that, that they could come to your house, force their way in, and take your child like a DSS worker would for somebody who was addicted to crack or abusive to their children would be the same way, enforced the same way. That's the only reason I got a gun. Nope. Here is when civil disobedience becomes godly obedience. Now, I'm not trying to start a war in here. All I'm trying to tell you is, is that the world's coming. The world's coming. Thankfully, Jesus said, I'm coming soon. And in many ways, he's here. He says, the crown that you, I will keep you from the hour of trial. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have. We have the means to stand up for Christ and not deny his name. Therefore, we do, me and you believers, if you're not a believer in the room, give your life to Christ today. Let him overwhelm and change your life. Be born again today, and you too will have the power. But he says the things, hold fast to what you have. We have the ability. We have the, 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 the power. We have what it, what is needed to hold us in the time of trial and that is the Lord Jesus Christ that's what we need he says the one who conquers I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God never shall he go out of it I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own name here listen I could spend another two hours on that but let me tell you what he's saying here when we hold the name of Jesus Christ you see everybody's going to receive a mark everybody's receiving a mark now you will be marked out for Jesus Christ. And we know this is already starting to happen because uh, Paul in Galatians 6, 17, I think it is one of my favorite verses of all time. He says, behold, I bear on my body the brand marks of Christ. I can see Paul now as they were claiming that he was a false apostle, claiming that he was, that he was a joke, claiming that he was not for the Lord, that he was, uh, uh, that he was disobedient to God, that he wasn't a, a proclaimer of the true gospel. I can see him taking off his shirt. 
And as he unfolds his shirt, and he, you see these marks, these whipping marks across his back and the, where he was brutally beaten with, with stones and left to die outside the city, he says, I got the name of Christ written on me. You see, as you're persecuted, as you're come against, and as you stand fast in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are being marked out as his people. And when the whole world takes it all for, from you, and it's all said and done, and, and your life has been squeezed out of you, if not by physical force, by worldly powers, then by, by physical force from, from sin and death in the grave. When the life is squeezed out of you, and you have nothing left here on this side, Jesus Christ says, I've got you. And look at this name that you have on you look at this name that you have on you I'm telling you right now you'll you'll crumble under the pressures of the world or you'll stand as a pillar in the house of the Lord amen through the power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ now I want to encourage you I do want to encourage you you see that we could we could get very discouraged like this and say, okay, I'm going to hold on, Brandon. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on. And I want you to do that. But, but here's, here's the deal. You won't have to give up in order to get because Jesus Christ gave up in order that he might get you. And so as we walk through these texts, we saw last week of how Jesus Christ is the one who's been persecuted. Jesus Christ is the one who has been abandoned and afflicted. Jesus Christ is the one who even cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off from the land of the living so that you and I might be joined together to the only living one. And we, we know because of his resurrection that when he says that at my name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, we know that that's the case. But what he is telling us, friends, what he is telling us, people of God, is that if you bear the name of Christ, you will be standing with Christ when all of those bow down. You will have your crown. Now, we know from the rest of the book that we take those crowns and we fling them at the feet of Jesus and we lay prostrate on the ground worshiping him because he's worthy. He's worthy. So let me encourage you that when you turn away from the wickedness of this world, when you turn away from the, from the, from the, from the temptations and the, the tasty little treats of this world, even the things that seem good, when you turn away from those things and you turn to Christ, you are not giving up anything. Rather, you are welcoming in glory. But you won't ever know it. You won't ever know it until you say no. You won't ever know it until you say no. Deny your flesh. Deny your flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Be patiently enduring just like Jesus. As a matter of fact, look to Him. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that's done it before us. Go toward Him. Set your eyes on Him. And as you set your eyes on Him and you move toward Him, every no that you say to this world will be a glorious yes that Christ has shown you. You see it? You're not going to give up anything, child of God. I promise you that. I promise you that. I know it looks like you're going to give something up, but I promise you won't. I promise you with everything that's in me, you won't. I promise. You say no to the world. And you say yes to Christ, and you watch God blow your socks off. Even in the midst of the storm. Dwight, am I telling the truth? Am I? Gary, am I telling the truth? I'm telling the truth up here. I'm telling the truth. I'm telling you right now. Let them take it. It'll hurt. I'll, it'll hurt. Don't go on. It'll hurt. But when you stand in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, well done, you won't need none of that stuff anyway. So as we all stand to our feet, I want to ask you today, have you given it up for Christ? If, you, if you're going through trials and you're going through tribulations right now and they're harder on you than they should be, have your trials led you to denying Christ? Isn't that a good, legitimate question? Have your trials and tribulations led you to deny Christ and embrace the world? 
If they have, then be of good cheer today that Christ stands as the one with the key who can open the door. And when he opens it, no one can shut it. So if the door's been opened to you, I plead with you today, turn your back on the world. Stop compromising with the world. Stop giving up your integrity. Stop losing your morality and turn to Christ who can sustain you. And he will make you into a pillar. You want to stand strong? You want to be firm? You want to be a foundation? You want to be the one that stays true when the storm hits and it's wildest? You want to be the one that people can come to when they're struggling because you've always been steadfast? It won't come through knowledge and it won't come through uh, will and grit and desire. It'll come through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ holding you up and making you a pillar for everyone around you. We need you. We need you men of God in here. We need you women of God in here to go ahead and take that next step. I've offered the class. I've offered means. I've offered my help as much as I can. But it'll take you pursuing Christ, men and women in here. We need men of God willing to disciple other peoples. This is not a game. I'm not trying to get people to come to the church like crazy. That's not my goal. My goal is to make you men and women of God who are powerful in the Lord Jesus Christ, who can stand the test of time, who can weather the storms, and who can teach young people and other people how to be men and women of God. We need you people. We need you brothers and sisters. I'm so thankful of those of you who are ready and willing and anxious. Don't let anybody slow you down. I will say this. If you can't find discipleship in this church that grows you to the next level of your Christianity and your understanding of Jesus Christ and your missional movement and life in Jesus Christ, then don't you hang around here. If you come in here because you think I speak well or the band's good, but you're not growing in Christ, then get out of here. You got to go where God's growing you. You got to go where you're becoming more powerful in the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to go where you're becoming more hardened to the things of the world and soft to the things of God. You got to come where you go where you're going to get the teaching of Jesus that doesn't just come out good, but goes in good. Amen? And if I ain't doing it for you, go find somebody else. I don't care. I want you to grow up in Jesus is what I want. I hope it's with me. I do. I hope it's with us. I do. I don't want to lose a one of you. I really don't. But I want you to understand the Bible. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to be steadfast. I want you to be immovable, powerful, because I love you and I love your children. And they need for you to be a man of God. And and that little girl, that little boy needs for you to be a woman of God and never to waver, never to waver, but to stand fast. And I know you can do it through Christ. You say, well, I'm not that smart. Me either. I'm not that good looking. Me either. I'm not that. I'm not this. I'm not that. Listen, we don't need any of that or this. We just need Christ. You'd be amazed at what he can do with an old jar of clay. Sometimes I was talking to Heather the other day about this, and sometimes I get a little excited and I'll just. Blah, 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 blah. But it's, and I'll tell you why. And I tried to explain to her. She said, You should share that with people. I don't, I'll probably butcher it, but here's what I told her, and this really is my heart. I see the Word of God kind of comparable to a, a Van Gogh. I don't know anything about art, okay? To a, like a Van Gogh or a Picasso or something like that. It's just, man, it's, it's to me, the Word of God is so magnificent. And every time I look at it, it's like I see something new. It's like I see something that just jumps out at me and it says, here I am, Brandon, here I am. And I just, and I kind of think of it like when I go to a, I've been to some art galleries and maybe the art's just bad, but I've I've been to some art galleries. I'm looking at it going, I just don't get this. This is stupid. This guy fell down on his canvas and called it art. But then somebody that knows the, and I've seen this because I had art appreciation in, in college. Somebody that knows the author. Somebody that's looked at all the author's works and, and saw the consistent, artist, author, I'm oh, sorry. I'm thinking of God. 
you see? You see what it is there? You see the artist works, and, and you see how he's got consistencies through each piece, and, and he signs it the same, and, and, and the colors that he uses pops in a certain way, and so on and so forth. You know, somebody that, that knows the artist and, and knows the work, and, and they just, when they talk to you, it's like, yeah, look at, oh, that's a Picasso right there. I'm like, how do you, how do you know? Is it signed? Like, it's his signature. Oh, no, 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 this is unmistakable. This is Picasso. This is Van Gogh. This is whoever. And then they talk. They're excited. But, but what's the difference? They know the works. They know the artist. And they appreciate and love this beautiful masterpiece. And, and sometimes when they start talking, they're just like, look at these strokes right here. I'm like. And, and I don't. Okay. I don't want it to be like that. I don't. So I'm willing to do what I need to do to not to, I'm not going to compromise the text. But if I need to slow down, if I need to paint in broader strokes, if I need to come on Sunday mornings at, at 7 a.m. and us walk through the Old Testament, the New Testament, if I've got to elicit help from my brothers who I know are fully capable of teaching, I'll do it. Listen, I wouldn't even plan on doing all this, but I'm just telling you, I want you I want you to see the Picasso for what it is. I want you to see the Van Gogh and go, wow. Because so many of you, I talk to you, and, and you do try. You get into the Word. And I, I'm sorry last week if I hit some of you too hard. Some of you needed that shot. But I know some of you are just like, I try, Brandon. I try. I really do. But I just, you know, I, I start reading, and I don't get it. It's kind of blocked up. Well, I can, I, I thought about it, and I prayed about it. And the Lord revealed to me, okay, I, okay. It'd be like, you know, looking at this part of a Picasso going, I just don't get it. So I want you to know that I love you, and I am not a genius in the Scriptures. I am not perfect. I have my struggles, and I go back and forth with many brothers in here, and we correct each other. We give each other insights, and it's a, it's a move in progress. But I want you to know that I am committed to helping you to know the Bible better to know Christ in a greater way, and I will do what I need to do. I'm not, I'm not, my primary goal here is not growing a 2,000 member church. If it does that, praise God. But I want you, you in the glasses right here, I want you to be a man of God like you've never been before. I want you, brother, right there, you, me and you personally, individually, I want you to be a man of God like you've never been before. I want you to get a little bit more understanding, Dustin, of the scriptures today and tomorrow and the next day so that you can use that as a tool and the weapon to combat the world and build the kingdom of God. See, when you start to evangelize, we might preach two sermons today. When you start to evangelize, if the word of God is, is, is so planted in you that it's growing in you and it's written on your heart, Brother Matt, if you want to evangelize, evangelize, let me tell you what you do. You just go study your Bible. Because when you get excited about it, and you just start talking about it, and you don't even mean to, that's evangelism at its finest. When you try to fabricate it, it can work. God can do whatever he wants to do. But when you try to fabricate it, it feels kind of made up and, and pushed and forced. But man, when you're in the scriptures and you're reading them and they're coming alive and you find that guy at work who don't even love the Bible, but you've got to tell somebody, you got to say, man, you can't believe what I saw in Isaiah. He said, who's Isaiah? No, let me tell you about Jesus. Okay, I'll stop. I just want you guys to love the Bible. I want you to, more than that, well, in line with that, I, don't, I want you to love Jesus. And you need to understand you cannot know Christ more without knowing the Bible more. It is his revealed word to us. So on that note, I'm, I'm going to shut up and I'm just going to pray. And if, and if you want to come and, and you want to get on your face before the Lord, get on your knees before the Lord, do work there, do work here, do business with God, whatever. But take it serious. Take it serious. And then don't stop. Don't stop. Get after me. Get after some of these guys in here who you know who can, they can disciple you. They ain't got too much going on in their life to disciple you. Go get them. Don't you give up. If you can't find it here, then you go find it. I'm giving you permission. This church is not the end. Christ Jesus is. Christ Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Push us. Push us, people. Push us.
Give us Christ or give us death. Push us. Lord Jesus, I pray for this church, God. I pray that we would be so committed to you and your name that we would be known for that and nothing else. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here. Lord God, you know my heart. You know I want to reach the masses. You know I want them to come to know you. You know that I want this church to have a thousand people who love Jesus. You know I want that, Lord. But God, please guard my heart from thinking that that is what the definition of success is, God. Because I know that you are the definition of success. And if you want us to remain at, at this number or a greater number or a lesser number, I pray, God, in every bit of it that whatever happens, growth or less or same or whatever, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would never be denied, that it would always be lifted up and we would be coming closer and closer and closer to you Lord I pray for these men and women out here we've got some young people in the congregation we've got some older people in the congregation and they are facing trials in life they're facing the lust and the temptations of the world it's not just people coming against them but the world being for them for ungodly things they've got so many things dangling in front of their face I pray God that you'd give them eyes to see and ears to hear I pray with every fiber of my being that they would set their eyes on you and anything that would present itself as a compromise of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would say no and therefore experience your yes because we know that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Come and respond as we worship in this last.